Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remix, Season 1, Episode 7, One Arrest. Of course, as always, I'm joined by one Robert Sapp. How you doing? You doing well? How you doing? Good. Happy um, Mother's Day. Absolutely. All the mothers out there. There's a lot. Yep. To all, definitely happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. And to all the mother, motherly-like figures out there. There you go. You know. Um, definitely hope they are enjoying their day uh, on this uh, Sunday. So this is episode one, excuse me, episode seven on arrest. This episode was directed by Joe Chappelle, ranked uh, by Vulture 41 all time in terms of Wired episodes, 41 out of 60. Um, and the epigraph is a man must have a code by one. Bunk Moreland. So the opening scene, the detail uh, is breaking down and decoding the wiretaps. They find out that um, through these, through the decoding, they find out that they they're anticipating a uh, package being delivered by Stinkum. You have, of course, Prez and Freeman leading the way as far as breaking it down, breaking down these uh, wiretaps. And um, even uh, even Harv even Perk gets in on the act as far as being able to uh, decode what was being said on these uh, on these wiretaps. Prez even uses a song that he used to listen to growing up uh, to help him, which you know the detail looks you know looks down upon him and you know basically says you know that explains a lot as he was describing how he used to you know put the. Uh, stereo next to his uh, ear and listen to the same song or the same part of that song over and over again. Um, a lot of details in this particular uh, scene in terms of the, like, the, the type of discipline that it takes to do this type of work. And even, you know, they made fun of prayers, but I thought that I would, I thought that part of the scene was important when he said, hey, I used to listen to the same song over and over again, which is in police work, and you want to do effective police work wiretaps, it is repetitious, it is tedious, it is boring. So I think that message was well conveyed conveyed throughout throughout the, this part of the scene, throughout this opening scene by the writers, David Simon, Ed Burns, and the creators of this uh, of this of this show. What were your thoughts on this ep- on this uh, episode? Not this episode, but this uh, opening scene. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it's it's very important. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, they're continuing to set up the rules of the wire for us. And a big part of that is going to be, uh, a lot of redundancy doing things over and over and over and over again. Um, just to make sure that you, you got it right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, that, that, that's exactly what I took away from it as well. So they go, so we move to Rawls and Santangelo. Uh, Rawls continues to pressure Santangelo about finding some Daryl McNulty. Santangelo, throughout the course of the season, continues to be reluctant to basically, you know, fuck over another cop. So Rawls, in classic Rawls fashion, says, you know what? If you're not going to help me get Daryl McNulty, then you got to clear a case. Clearly, Santangelo is a mediocre cop. 
as far as mediocre homicide cop because his, his clearance rate is low. And, you know, he basically says, I had, uh, he said, he basically says, these were some dunkers. And Raw says, yeah, you had a lot of dunkers. So he says, pick one and clear it or, or find me or get me McNulty. There's no third, he says that there's no third choice. So at this point, Santangelo uh, picks out, uh, picks out a case. And this leads him, leads on a, just this wild goose chase where he gets involved with a, 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 you know, gets, you know, basically taken advantage of by landsman and what have you with this, uh, with this genie, not genie, but with this psychic. Um, Santangelo, maybe not, maybe policing was just not his line of work. Maybe he's just in the long, maybe Santangelo was in the wrong line of work in, in terms of a career. It just seems like he just had, it seems like he just doesn't have a clue. Yeah, yeah, poor Santangelo. Not <laughs> <laughs> so bad for Santangelo because he's not a bad. He like Santangelo is not a bad dude. He's it's not somebody you you know you you not like you can't that you don't want to root for. But you know that this is just not his. Yeah, he he's in the wrong. He's in the wrong game. Yeah, I mean, like you, you got some detectives that detectiving is is tricky for them. And you know, the part of policing that he, that he is doing is you know solving murders, which any any cop will tell you how hard. I mean, this unsolved murder. There are there are thousands of thousands of unsolved murders throughout the course throughout this country. Because I mean, it's not it's not an easy task. That's why these detectives who are able to clear these cases are, you know, are a few and far between. So when you have somebody like him who's mediocre, then those guys basically don't have a chance. I think this speaks, though, I think it, the big picture, it speaks of, and I think what they're trying to, the message that the writers are trying to send out, that Simon is trying to send out, send is how much mediocrity is in the police department in general. Like how, like how much dead wood, you know, guys just somewhat are collecting checks, even though, I mean, are collecting checks that just are not good at their jobs. So I think that it's, they were trying to kind of send that message as well, even more so than, than having a, a boss like Rawls, who we know is a politician, who we know is going to do what's in the best interest of his, uh, of his unit. Yeah, absolutely. So the detail is going over the strategy in terms of how to bust Stinkum. Uh, they tell Herkin Carver, let um, let the runner go. No, they tell Herkin Carver, Carver to let Stinkum go and get the runner. The runner, of course, you know, was a young kid who, who they, to uh, Prez hit, you know, busted his eye. So they, so they tell them, let the runner go. I mean, y'all two get on the runner. Um, and we're gonna leave. We're gonna leave Stinkum. You know, we're gonna leave Stinkum be. Uh, we'll already. We'll already have. We had this. And Hurt is able to figure out that we'll have the charge on them anytime we want. What did you think about this uh, particular strategy? Yeah, I mean, like it's. It's also. It's. It's again. It's. It's continuing the rules set up for. For uh, what. What this. What. It, what it has to look like. Um, in particular, like the rules of engagement. Um, it's setting up the, it's continually setting up the idea that this is not just about, um, you know, 
uh, a little bit of coke on the table. Like a, an intense um, investigation like this uh, requires a, a whole, like requires a whole bunch. So that's one thing that it's doing. And then the second thing it's doing is it's letting us know how unique this, this investigation is because in the later scene that we'll talk about, that's what's so confounding to the Barksdale crew. They don't understand what's going on because this is such a unique uh, investigative unit and is not following what they have experienced as normal procedure. Well, also you can talk about, you can kind of connect the tours even earlier, the, uh, the, uh, the scene where you have D'Angelo and the young boys in the pit with the chess, with the chess scene where you can make moves in chess. Like you always have to be thinking ahead. Like, yeah, they could take Stinkum and arrest Stinkum, but that's going to affect moves that they want to make further down the road. So yeah, it's, it's an absolute, it's, chess, absolute chess move that they do. That they do. It's but the difference know. between investigation versus arrest, versus just going on an arrest. And what they're doing is they're investigating. They're not interested in just what, you know, kind of like uh what Herc and Carr called the Western District way, right? You just jump out and just pound on somebody and you grab them up or whatever they're carrying. That's, that's the arrest and that's a good day's job. Not for an investigative unit. That's, that's, not, that's not what they're after. So you have uh, McNulty, Perlman, and Judge Phelan. Uh, McNulty and Perlman get Phelan to add 30 more days to the wiretaps. Um, you have a situation where we find out that we find out that failing of course is attracted to uh Perlman and we find and you know we also get dig deeper into the failing McNulty uh dynamic in that relationship and I was curious to know or to to wonder about what about like why why does failing enjoy fucking with McNulty like what What's Phelan's motivation? He's a judge. There, you know, McNulty's a cop. Um, I don't think this is a a political move for Phelan. I I just I was always curious of why why Phelan was even like had an interest in this case, had an interest in helping McNulty, and what have you. What what were your, what are your thoughts on that? I mean. The- if if you like so so you gotta let the episodes be your guide on this one, right? Like so the initial beginning is McNulty is has seen the Barksdale crew beat everybody in cases, in a murder case. And his way in on this, he figures, is the witness angle. Um, but he knows he can't go to his bosses for that because they don't want they don't want it out there that they lose witnesses. So it goes to the judge. Him and Phelan had some previous relationship. I don't believe it's ever explained to us exactly what their previous relationship was, but you imagine it's something like like what he has with Perlman right now, um, minus the sex probably. Um and so uh and so um He's a judge now, so he knows he can go to to his judge, and so that's what kickstarts everything. That's what kickstarts everything else. I I want to say, as of right now, 
it doesn't show that there's political motivation. But this episode just kind of cracked that door open. Um, but we know there's, like, knowing the whole arc of the show, we know there's, there's political motivations in pretty much everything that gets decided in The Wire, and, and particularly with, with Phelan. Um, he, he, wanted, he wanted to be known. Anyway, like, that's, that's for later, later shows. So, so that, that is actually there. Um, and, uh, and so at, at this point in time, um, what McNulty's frustrated at, which he does not have a reason to be frustrated, by the way, um, where he's frustrated is that the judge keeps going to the press. And that's the political motivation. Like that's the reason he keeps going to the press is so that he can bang on the people that need, they can be negative towards the people he needs them to be negative towards. And if this thing comes, uh, as McNulty said in this episode, becomes a career case, then he can take audit. Then he'll be the unnamed source. So he'll unreveal himself. If it's not, then, then it just remains what, what, what it is, which is why it, he doesn't ever reveal himself, as we'll see in further episodes. Um, so, anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it is a mutually beneficial relationship between McNulty and the judge. McNulty's using him, and the judge is using McNulty. McNulty has no reason to be upset. No, he does. He really doesn't, um, because <laughs> failing help McNulty was the reason why McNulty was able to get this case moving. So no, he, he has zero reason to be upset at all. Nobody, uh, nobody here has righteous motives. So neither one, like, I'm not kicking up for either. No one has righteous motives in this. No one does. No, no, it's not. No, this is not a situation where Phelan wants to help out the youth get drugs off the street. Like, this, he doesn't care. Like, that, that's not, like, he feels a need. It's not Phelan feeling a need to do the right thing. Yeah, my, right. I, I think my, my big point is they're both using each other. Yes. So it's, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Stinkum, so you have Stinkum, uh, um, Herc, Carver, Kima. Uh, they get, so they get Stinkum. Stinkum's in the car with the young boy from, uh, of course, from earlier, the earlier episode, I think it was episode two, where the one that Presbyterowski busts his eye, he loses, he lost his eye, he has a patch over his eye. He's in the car, they go on this high, not high speed chase, but they chase him around the block, chase Stinkum around the block. The car, uh, the boy, Jumps out, jumps out of the uh, truck with the uh, with the G packs. The, uh, with the G packs, he runs through the pit and eventually is chased down by uh, chased down by Carver, Carver, Herc, and, and Kima and Signor and Signor Stinkum. Of course, they let Stinkum go. Um, Stinkum then uh, goes to the payphone and called and and gets sends a uh, sends a page to. Um, Stringer's pager, Stringer returns the call. During this time, um, they let Lester know that uh, Lester knows that this Lester sees, sees this that Stringer's that Stringer's pager that's being called. He lets them know, and Signer goes to the runs to the roof rooftop to uh, confirm what confirm that Stinkum is going to be calling uh, Stringer back. So he calls Stringer back. They get on the phone. Um, Stringer, Stringer calls him. They get on the phone and immediately 
Stinkum reveals that, you know, we lost four G-Packs. Stinkum, uh, Stringer reprimands him immediately saying, we don't know, you know, like, why the fuck are you basically, why the fuck are you telling me this, telling me this over the phone? And that's basically the end of that conversation. And they end up, again, they end up with the four G-Packs. They, they arrest the kid. And um, they arrest the kid. And, of course, they end up letting um, Stinkum go. What are your thoughts on, on this scene? Um, I, you know, it, 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 again, it's, it's one of those things where we are getting to see the investigative process and getting to see why, um, that like certain things are very, uh, why certain things are very meaningful. And so in this particular situation is, it's, it's showing us that um, you know, the, the, the rest is not, is not the, the big thing right here. It's actually, um, getting the information. And so, uh, Stinkum is much more valuable to the team. I mean, to the investigation, if he's out and about rather than, than running around, it's continuing to kind of like set up the rules for, for exactly what we're going to see in the future. Yeah, and, you know, they get to hear Stinkum on the phone with Stringer and they, you know, Stringer, again, reprimand Stinkum for, you know, getting, that, getting you know, giving up that information as far as um, on talking over the phone in general and um, just more confirmation about, like, how Stringer's involvement and, and what have you. So you get that information that they would not have gotten had they just outright arrested um, Stinkum, uh, just outright arrested Stinkum. So you have Bunk and McNulty um, talking. Um, they go to the uh, to a place where Gant was shot. Uh, those apartments and what have you, and they find a they find uh, this this lady who um, ends up be helping her out with her groceries, and she it ends up that the lady saw witnessed the murder. Now she gives them part of it. Um, she doesn't say that she, you know, she she basically gives them gives them the murder, but she doesn't say that she saw that she saw Bird's face. She just says she saw him from behind, identified him, you know, as being skinny, and basically described how far he was in terms of um, how far he was from Gant in terms of where he was going in terms of the shooting. Um, so she gives up. She, you know, they can, can they confirm that yeah, that it was. That, that this gives them confirmation that it was Bird, and they move forward. They move forward um, from there. Do you want to add anything to that? Um, I mean, like I think the 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 biggest part of that sequence was that um, when they left the house, they were you know they it, it, they didn't need her they didn't need her ID um, because. Uh, McNulty had had uh, Omar. Omar. Yeah, yeah. Johnny Bubbles and Kima. Johnny, of course, got busted in the last episode, so he's in court now. Um, Bubbles gets uh, help gets Kima to help Johnny out. So Kima gets Kima gets Bubbles. Excuse me. Kima gets Johnny out. All he has to do is go to some meetings, and. Um, you know, they take some piss tests, piss tests, you know, some probation, no jail time. He gets him out. 
And again, we another example of which will become a recurring theme of Bubbles bailing out Johnny and Bubbles just, you know, basically having this soft spot for Johnny, who is just just a fuck up, to say at least. I mean, he's a crackhead and he's, he's a fuck up. He's not even good at being a drug addict. And, you know, I'm going to touch on this later on in the episode about just destructive friendships, because this is one of them without question. But anything anything about that scene that st- stood out to you? Uh, I mean, like, the, you know, like Johnny gets on uh, Bubbles about, you know, being being a snitch for the cops, but this is the fringe benefit of it, right? Like that Bubbles can help out Johnny when he's in, when he's in, when he's in a little bit of jam. Um, so even though John, I found it interesting, even though Johnny, that's, that's the thing that he got on Bubbles about, that Bubbles was able to use that. So you get back to the detail. Um, they have the, the young man who was arrested um, with the re-up, um, Kevin. He, he immediately recognizes Prez uh, from the uh, towers that night. Prez recognizes him. Uh, they recognize each other, but Prez, Prez refuses to look him, you know, to, to even look at him uh, eye to eye. Um, Prez tells Daniels, that's, you know, that's the guy, that's the kid. And then Daniels immediately goes and tries to um, flip the kid uh, and you know, this was Daniels trying to, you know, obviously trying to, you know, trying to further the case, but also more importantly, in a way, trying to give back. Uh, he has a conversation with the kid, basically saying the game has taken, as you know, has cost you. Um, he takes Daniels takes responsibility, takes takes responsibility for uh, some of it. Um, and he tries to give the kid a way out as far as, you know, he basically said, you know, you, how do you want to live the rest of your days? Uh, he gets him a soda and uh, a peanut butter cup. And, you know, the kid recognizes the game right away. The kid calls out Daniels, basically said, you know, motherfucker trying to pit me for a, a, a can of soda and, a, and some candy. And then he calls Prez, called, called Prez out saying he came and looked me in the eye. Uh, came and looked me in the eye. But this is more about, to me, this is more about Daniels um, feel, feeling like he owed something uh, to this young man. What are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, this is this is one of those ones we got to dig a little deeper because this 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 is a bit this is a big scene. I mean, no, it's for, a lot, for a lot of, for a lot of different reasons. Um, I I took Daniels as completely being genuine and that this actually had nothing to do with the case. Um, I I I he. In, in very short, in a very short way of saying, like he felt bad. He felt right. bad that this happened. He felt bad that this happened on his watch. Then on another deeper level, you know, it's, it's, he's, he, there are certain jobs, and I would imagine this would be one of them without not doing that, that is, that are challenging. That is tough. You know, when you are a black man and day in, day out, you're watching black men kill each other, destroy each other, destroy their communities, destroy their own lives. That's tough. That's tough and that's hard. Um, and so uh, I think those two things compounded in this moment. Or that At least that's what, what we're, we're meant to believe in terms of uh, this was 
his people that did this to this young man and this was another young man who um who in a long list of black 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 young men he's seen you know uh go down self-destructive paths um there's another scene uh a few probably i'm trying to think which scene anyway a few seasons from now or whatever maybe it was the next season i can't remember um i do remember it's when he's looking for the gun uh next season um and bunk uh like throws out a card to the people and it's like get out of jail free card uh for anything other than a, a homicide no 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 it's when he's looking for omar um anyway uh so um so when daniels i say that to say when daniels gave the kid the card it wasn't about what he was trying to say was it wasn't about today this is this is a chance to call me when you're you're at that point now when i'm watching the scene i i'm also i know how um tricky it's going to be uh and how you know just at that moment in time daniels might as well be talking to a brick wall because that kid hasn't suffered enough um in order to be at that point where he'll be able to reach out for help for someone like daniels who clearly he sees as the enemy you know barstale clearly sees the police as the enemy um the community that's being policed by the police see them as the enemies blah, blah blah like all that stuff um and so the scene itself comes off as really really tragically sad because the likelihood of that kid ever using a card like that is very slim and they don't even give you the opportunity the scene writers or the writers and the and, and the actors in the scene don't even give you that opportunity because the kid tosses that card away immediately um so it, it it's 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 a very meaty scene and it's also uh one that's multi-layered and doesn't have an answer at all like it doesn't even doesn't even propose to have an answer it's just showing you the reality of the situation that everybody said yeah so daniels when he gives him that card daniels see i mean daniels is doing this out of guilt he's doing this because he does care but he also he also knows in the back of his mind that this kid is not going to reach out for help because he hasn't hit that bottom. like you to your point he hasn't hit that bottom yet not even close to a bottom. He just got arrested as a juvenile. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's not about the kid. That's yeah. that's what's great about scenes like that. Each actor can play it for for their part. So Daniels isn't playing this as, or the actor isn't playing this as. Uh, this is about this is about what you're going to do. This is about the emotional impact of everything on Daniels and. Daniel's reaching, reaching out, you know, uh, it's, it's some, sometimes most, most cases you're probably going to get spit in your eye, but that's not the point. The point is that you put it out there. Now the person can do with it what they will, but he put the, he, he put it out there. If you need help, I'm here. Period. Yes. So we go to um, 
we can go to the Daniels, Marla, uh, and Varela at this gala, this, this party for um, cops and political figures. And uh, clearly Daniels is out of his element. Um, he's just there because his wife just kind of, I think, begins her political, um, you know, her making moves and things of that nature. Kind of, This kind of was for her. Uh, Burrell, he sees Burrell there. Burrell, he speaks to Burrell um, at the party. And Burrell introduces him, which I thought was not, doesn't introduce him, but it shows him, uh, basically tells him who's who. And we get to not get to some, we get to, we didn't get to, we get to meet, but we get to see Clay Davis. And even though Clay Davis didn't have any scenes as far as speaking scenes, Burrell tells Clay, tells uh, Daniels who Clay Davis is and this get who Clay Davis is, what he's about. And um, basically, Burrell was trying, you know, Daniels didn't know anybody in there. I saw it as Burrell sending a message to Daniel saying a subtle message, maybe not through speaking, but basically saying, if you want to get ahead, you better, you better find, you better know, get to know some of these people that are in this room. That's how I viewed it. Uh, that's how I viewed that part of the scene. Um, what were uh, what were your thoughts on that little on on their interaction and then and Dan and, Bur and Burrell and that whole environment that uh, Daniels was in seemingly being uncomfortable in that environment? Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was, it was a very very cool little scene um, because uh, the the writers and the producers and everybody involved are doing a couple of different things here, right? Like a they are. Um, you know, reaffirming um, what we already know about Daniels or, or adding on to layers to the character of, you know, Daniels is not a politician. Um, he, it just, it doesn't come naturally to him and, and uh, it's, he's not a politician. Um, that, those are kind of like the, like the character moments. Uh, we see that Burrell is a politician. He knows all, you can't get to his position without being a politician and that he knows um, the game and he's fully involved in um, playing that game. Um, it also gives us a little bit of setup on Clay Davis, just kind of puts that nugget there, yeah. um, just, just right out there. So those are all the kind of like the, the initial plot point pieces that they're gonna, they, they're putting there, um, just our character development pieces on different people that um, you either know or you're gonna come to really know. Um, the, the other big thing that they're doing is this is the first episode where they really kind of open the door to, or crack the door to politics playing a, a role in the series. Um, and so just as they kind of been setting the table, you know, this is one of the things we've always admired about The Wire that me and you have talked about and, and our circles always talked about is how far ahead, how, how, they were planning, um, to your point, playing chess, um, planning uh, uh, steps ahead. As we know, the, po the, po the political season doesn't happen until season three, but here they are starting to crack in the middle of season one. You know, a lot of shows might not, or other shows might not take the time to do that. Definitely not at this time. 
um, did, did they would a show of taking the time to start building blocks towards towards what's going to happen in the future. So yeah, it was a very very cool cool thing to watch. So you have Bubbles and Johnny at this recovery meeting. Um, they're going through this you know twelve step meeting. You're going through. Um, they're giving out pins for six months recovery, three months recovery, uh, 24 hours recovery. Um, Bunk gets up for the 24 hour recovery or slash 24 hour recovery slash, or you want to get your life straight, life, uh, or get your life headed in the right direction. And Bubbles, not Bubbles, um, Johnny, of course, again, chides Bubbles saying, hey, we just got high this morning. Uh, what are you doing? And then we get we get before that we get introduced to Whalen, who gives what I would have to say, and, and this is the, the brilliance of this show. Because um, when I first saw this episode, or this even countless times seeing it, seeing it, I completely just forgot about the the, the depth and the power of this speech that he gave that Whalen gives. Um, about addiction and you know get, getting back to the scene that we did that we talked about with the young kid Whalen brings up says if you you know if you once you reach that bottom then I'm there for you as far as you want some advice something like that once you reach that bottom we talked about in previous scenes about that young boy who got busted by the cops uh, not nowhere near his bottom and Whalen comes and says, hey, once you reach this bottom, then I'm going to be here for you. Um, here's the part of the speech that really that got to me from the standpoint, that, that got to me. He says, now I know I got one more high left in me, but I doubt seriously I got one more recovery. Um, again, a very poignant and powerful scene when it comes to the, just showing you the, uh, the meat, the meat of addiction, and the process of addiction, and the process of recovery, and what the what addicts are going through, and you know, drugs, alcohol, gambling, whatever. Just the power of addiction and, and the toll that that is taken on a lot of these people, especially uh, especially with him. And he goes through a story of, you know, he goes through his story. He doesn't give now. He doesn't give his whole complete story. He will give that later on. Uh, in further episodes later on throughout the course of the series. But he says, you know, he was out there, he had to pawn, he, he was pawning stuff, to, and he just scared off his, his wife, his family, and scared off, you know, just all this fucked up shit that, that's happened because of his addiction to drugs. And, you know, basically bears his soul through, you know, to a room full of strangers. Uh, I know you're going to have a lot on this. What, what were your thoughts? No, not not necessarily like a lot. I mean, because I, I think you pointed out exactly what the scene was was doing, the juxtaposition of it. Um, you have on one end Daniel's offering um, support to to the kid who, as you said, wasn't there, and then um, two things happen in the scene. It's it's intro it's introducing us to Whalen, as you said again. Um, the, like as I was watching this episode, I was like, "This is a much slower episode because it's like taking its time to set up other things," yeah. um, which again, a lot of shows, particularly at that time, didn't do. Um, and so it's introducing us; it's further giving us a look into Bubbles' life in a lot of different ways. 
um, which will which will reoccur and which will will have consequences in the, in the future. But it's laying those it's 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 laying those bricks and those foundations and giving us the uh, giving giving us um, the other giving us more parts of of, of bubble. Um, it's introducing an important character Whalen, who will who will see, um, and so uh, it's it's doing that. And then um, on top of that, like you said, it 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 absolutely that's what I would have said. It mirrors the Daniel scene to T, except that he's talking to addicts, and a lot of them have hit their bottom. Um, so at the very least maybe somebody will will take him up on on his offer because they had a much different place than that kid was with with Dan. so you nailed exactly what, what i would have talked about and uh, and he you know he uh well and he clearly gets the bubbles he has the attention of bubbles at this point he's, he's not all i mean well it's, set, it's setting yeah exactly. setting, it's setting, it's it's setting it's, it up it's setting it's it up, up. Yep. yeah yeah well, he has bubbles attention yep. to, to an extent yep. There's some there's some type of connection. Bubbles yes. can hear his story. Yes. Um, Daniels, Damian Price back at the party. Uh, Damian Price, uh, aka Ashley Larry. Um, Larry. So Ashley Larry, who's funny? Yeah, this dude's Ashley Larry is a, a, a stand up and become like a top stand up comedian. Like who knew? This guy, like, so he's his career really has blossomed since then. Um, outside of, outside of the wire, he. They're in the kitchen and they're watching a baseball game. So he, Daniels was in there just want to just want to kill time, um, basically watching the Orioles game. He's in the kitchen with a bunch of drivers. Damian Price happens to be one of the drivers, and Price basically is saying, you know, I man, this is how much money is in the place, and he could how he would break in and how much money. You know, he doesn't clearly doesn't know who Daniels is. And basically said, you know, I, I could how much money he can crack this, you know, I can crack this safe, the alarm system, and, and basically giving up his whole, giving up, basically telling Daniels who he is uh, as a, as a criminal, as a criminal, and Daniels is just taking this all in and just listening. And then once they make an introduction, Daniels introduces themselves as they just call me, they call me Damien. My name is Damien Price. They call me Day Day. Daniel says my name is. My name is um, Cedric Daniels, but I go by mostly Lieutenant. Um, so at that point, you, you know, clearly uh, they, uh, Price realizes he put his foot, has put his foot in his mouth and uh, the scene concludes from there. Um, what were your thoughts? Yeah, so um, this is where I have a lot of thoughts on okay. because this actually is where the wire's genius. This is this is why this is a genius show, and it seems like this, um, because the scene is completely played for laughs, completely played for laughs. It's it in a lot of other programming. That's all this scene would would be would be. It's like haha, Day Day thinks he's a he's a uh, uh, talking to just a driver like him, um, and ha, what a fool he is. But the scene sets up so, so much. Um, and, and this also is what I mean when I say there is no wasted motion in this, in this show. And that's, that's why it's brilliant. Um, and so, uh, and so there, here's a big, a big thing. A, another big thing, particularly for me and like my viewing habits is show me, don't tell me. Show me, don't tell me. Um, and so, uh, 
there, there are there are good scenes like the one that you talked about with Whalen, where he's giving a big, huge speech. Um, but that's that's very much in the tell me um, frame, and, and and you need those sometimes the exposition. But um, I'm more impressed by the by scenes like this, and so um, by just by the sheer fact that Daniels is in that back room um, with everybody else talking about the game gives you way more detail about how uncomfortable he is than anything that he could have said or anybody else could have said and how much he doesn't want to play the political game or how much he doesn't see the political game because what allows Day Day to feel that free to talk to him like that is because there would be no way a lieutenant would be back in, the, in that back room. There just wouldn't be a way because that's not the purpose of that party. That's not how those people, that's not in his mind and people's mind. That's not how they behave or how they would articulate or anything like that. So that just says a world about Daniels as a character um, that he's back there and that Day Day feels that comfortable with him. So that's point number one. The point number two is this is a huge moment because this is going to crack open the whole notion of follow the money. This is this the the fact that Daniels has this interaction with Day Day will be that light bulb in there and will create all types of havoc and drama for the um for the detail in in the entire future of the wire, like the entire thing. This is the genesis of it right here. That scene right there is the genesis of it. And so that's what I mean by like, this is, it's, this, this is, this is why this show is special. This is why this show is special. And, and to and add to that, for scenes like this. To add to that, if you're somebody who first, who's, who's new to this show and you first, you see a scene like that and you're like, this is the first, your first viewing of it. You would say, you think, you would think to yourself, you might think to yourself, why the hell would Dede talk that freely? And even if he didn't know Daniels was a lieutenant, but still, why would he just why would he be comfortable with talking that freely? We're gonna find out in future episodes why he feels that comfortable with talk with with, with uh, being that free in terms of how he was speaking. It might be viewed upon as a mistake, but he there's a reason why he feels that comfortable was speaking considering who who he's working for who he's connected to there's a reason why he feels that comfortable with speaking that freely why he feels that empowered like why do you you would think to yourself why would a driver feel that empowered to speak like that because even though you did not even though you don't know who Daniels is and you think you might think he's a driver you still don't I mean you don't you don't speak like you don't say like hey I might think about breaking into this place or even that that's just dumb off the on the on the surface but there's a reason why he's, but again, we'll, we'll, we'll find out soon why he had, why he felt that empowered to speak to Daniels like that. So that, yeah, it was, it was brilliant from that standpoint, because again, this, you know, yeah, that, it was a quick scene. It was quick, but it was, uh, it definitely had a, had a lot of layers to it. Um, McNulty and Bunk at the bar, uh, they're both, uh, they both are drunk as usual <laughs> in a bar when they when they get together. Uh, McNulty, basically Bunk is, is telling McNulty what he's gonna have to do to get back in the good graces uh, with uh, Rawls. You know, give him some clearances, kiss some ass and, and, and go from there. 
And then they get into this uh, dialogue where you find out the origins or the genesis of their friendship. And basically, without getting into the dialogue word for word, basically, it's, it, I took it as it seems to me like nobody else was fucking with Minolte and Bunk. You know, Bunk was the first guy that kind of like, they, they were kind of kindred spirits to begin with. To begin with, when McNulty first started being a cop at that, you know, at the Western District and what have you, and McNulty, like he, McNulty is thankful that Bunk took him kind of under his wing, when maybe nobody wanted to fuck with him, or maybe he just, or he didn't know anybody else. So that's what I kind of took that as. But I have some more. I have some more later about this friendship that's just not good for either one of them, and 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 uh, down the road um, further in the episode. What were your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I, I wanted to take a step back just just really quickly. What you what you said in the in the last scene in terms of like it was a short scene, but there was a lot in there. Um, I could literally do that with every single scene in the wire. Like everything I did in that last one, I could pick up those exact same things from a scene like this. I just have to pick and choose for 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 time wise. So. Um, there's, 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 there's equally a ton in a scene like this, but I would be much shorter and briefer and briefer on this one. Um, I agree with you. And then I'm going to add more. Um, it's like a mentor mentee relationship and we'll see it juxtaposed a little bit. Like when Bunk talks to, uh, talks to Omar at the, at the, at kind of towards the end of the, or not at the, the actual end of the episode. Um, Bunk is just years ahead of McNulty and um and yeah, mentor mentor a mentor mentee relationship. That's 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 the part that I that I would add on. Um McNulty looks up to Bunk. Um because Bunk was there before him and showed him how to how to get how to get there. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no question that he, he, he uh, views him, and they sh- and they share some of the same destructive qualities, which I I, I will touch about touch upon um, later in this episode, uh, later in, later in the show. So you have D'Angelo, Avon, Stringer, Stinkum, Weebay. Um, D'Angelo enters the club before he heads upstairs. He Orlando pulls him aside. And basically um, says he wants to speak to him later on about about a move that they can make. This this is in this is the beginning of the end for one Orlando. Um, so they so keep put a bookmark next to that to, to that conversation. We'll get to that uh, later on. Um, D'Angelo heads upstairs. He uh, he's in a room with again Avon with Avon Stinkum and Weebay. Avon of course is you know upset about basically saying, you know, basically saying, ask him, you know, basically what's going on, um, who's snitching. Um, D'Angelo explains, you know, basically tells him, hey, my crew is tight. I did everything that Stringer told me to do as far as cracking them with the, you know, with the money situation, with holding out. Um, and Avon, you know, D'Angelo questions um, Stinkham about, you know, running a traffic light and, you know, the, you know, Stinkum, you know, rebuffs that saying, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't run a, definitely wouldn't run a traffic light with 40 G's, $40,000 worth of stuff in the car. Um, 
So at this point, this is where Avon, getting back to earlier scenes we talked about, this is where Avon is, is baffled, not understanding why they would let Stinkham go, uh, why they wouldn't arrest Stinkham, and why they would let Stinkham go. So um, he decides to change things up. He tells, uh, he doesn't, we don't find out at that particular scene, but we'll find out later. He gives, um, lets D'Angelo know that the pit is shut down for the time being. And uh, Stringer will be around, be coming around with some more details on what they're going to do. Uh, this is the first time that you really see them baffled about what's going on. Like they've, they, for the first time, the police have thrown them for you know for a loop, and they don't they can't understand again. Just can't because they're used to just being, they're used to the police taking the shortcuts or going for the chasing stats busting heads, they used to that, the Mickey Mouse stuff that the cops had, had been doing in the past. This one, this was a chess move that the police made that they were not ready for and that they did, that they did not anticipate. So what were your thoughts on, on, on this scene from the Orlando part to the conversation upstairs? Yeah, I mean, I, I took a lot from the conversation upstairs, in particular um, after uh, uh, D'Angelo had left. Um, and to, to your point, this is the first time that, uh, that they, that it doesn't like things that are happening are not making sense. They're looking outside of, you know, oh, is this just a snitch or somebody, somebody in, in your, in your crew? Um, and so, uh. Yeah, 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 that the like, like they, they're as careful as they possibly can be, and still these things are happening. And now things that normally cops do, they're not doing. So um, this also, it just kind of like it, it, like when you talk about like you use the chess analogy a lot of times today. Like you know, it's just like all right, now your opponent is doing something unexpected. What are they doing? So now I, I liked it because it was just kind of like um, it showed the uh, the it's start it's starting it's starting the process of showing the skill of Avon um, in particular uh, uh, that that the wheels are now turning in another direction that wouldn't necessarily have been turning before because it would have been something that's part of the game. He's starting to sense this is something different. Um, so I really, I really like that. I really like, like seeing kind of like, you know, it's, it's not just, as we know, it won't be this, but this is, this is kind of like um, laying that foundation of this is not just the cops get their man type of show. Um, the, they're very much adversaries and they're very much playing against each other. And so you make a move then I make a move. You make two or three moves, I figure out what you're doing now, I have to counter. So this is the beginning of a Avon thinking about uh, what's going on and um, just what's going on and then eventually that'll, that'll come with countermeasures. Uh, so you have uh, Bubbles and Johnny getting high. Um, and again, it's Bubbles continually, you know, one step forward, two steps back um down this road where he he feels like i mean he, 
he enjoys getting high, but I also think part of me feels as if though he's doing this for Johnny as well. Like he, you know, I guess it's one of those situations where you, you know something is not, you know, you do something with a friend and a friend brings out destructive behavior in you when you know in your heart of hearts, this is not the right thing to do. That's what it felt like. You're being way too kind to Bubbles right now. You think so? Oh, definitely. You're being way too kind to Bubbles. Bubbles is the addict. He wants to get high. He does, he does want to get high. He doesn't have anything to do with Johnny. <laughs> yeah, he does want to get high. But uh, they, they, this shows them getting high. Uh, we go to Loud oh, That doesn't invalidate what you're saying in terms of no, no, they're this, bad for each other. They are bad for each other. <laughs> no, Bubbles, no, they are they're terrible for each other. Yeah. They, uh, no, he's an addict. He's still, he's still an addict. Yes, yes he is. He wants to get high. Um, McNulty, Daniels, Kima, and Buck, Bunk, um, they talk about going after Bird. You have, um, you have them come, you have McNulty, you have them plotting on terms of how they're going to go after Bird. Then you have, uh, Omar, McNulty, and Kima looking for Bird in the pit. They're in a the car, and, and Bird. Um, Omar is basically giving a scouting report on Bird, you know, where he cops, where, you know, what type of, what type of gun he has, where he, where he goes to get, you know, where he goes to get the, get a gun, where he go, where he goes to cop drugs, uh, his demeanor, uh, you know, hit the rules of the Barksdale saying, you know, never get, he quotes the, the Biggie song, 10, 10 Crack Commandments, never get highly owned supply saying that they, don't get they're not allowed to get high in the pit, but but he does he does get high. So he gives all this information up on Bird. He gives all this information up on Bird. And the thing that jumps out again, how well he knows Bird, how well he knows the Barksdale operation, and the fact that he has zero fear, because somebody can easily spot him in that car. They're not that they're not inconspicuous. They like they're right there. Um, he could care less. Like Omar could absolutely could care less. And he messages that anybody have a problem with, I'll stick my gun in their face. Um, what were your thoughts on Omar's just knowledge of the Barksdales and where he's at at this point as far as you know, um, snitching on their whole snitching on Berg and, and their whole crew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, I mean, like, it's this is this is another really good thing. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it. There's a lot going on in this scene. Um, so, and a lot of our reviews, we go back to the epigraph a lot. Um, so this is this is the time where I'll go back to the epigraph. Um, a man has to have a cold, and so you're using the word snitching, and under the definition, this is absolutely what snitching is. But um, I think that. No, I think, I mean, I know. Um, Omar views this very, very, very differently. Um, Barksdale's crew went past, uh, in, his, in his opinion, what they should have done to, to his boy. Um, and, uh, and it was somebody that he cared about and loved. And so there, there's a whole bunch of revenge, revenge in that. Um, so... So it's it I, I in Omar's in Omar's mind or in the way the way that he's acting, um, he's not afraid 
because he's he has his reputation, but also because this isn't something that he doesn't feel like he can back up. Based, he doesn't feel violates his code. He's not with the police just to, to just to take out anybody. He's with the police to get Bird, um, because Bird because Bird is who Bird is to him. Um, and so and Barksdale's who's Barksdale. Also, this is a callback um, to uh, how self-destructive the actions of the Barksdale crew was and how this will continuously their reaction to Omar um, and what they did to Brandon is going to lead to their ultimate downfall in a variety of ways and this is a big way that they have someone with the stature of Omar who can see the street as well as Omar um, who is on their side they don't do to Brandon what they did Omar's not doing this. No way, no way. He's not doing anything like this. So um, it just, it just, this is, this is another piece of, of uh, the Barksdale crew or how they, they've assured their own, their own destruction in, in a move like this. Um, and then on top of that, I mean, like, like Omar just, he just kind of like gives them the, this is, this is valuable pieces of information for, um, Kima and uh, um, McNulty to download just in their own internal investigating process. Um, like, yeah, yeah, everybody knows don't get high on your own supply, but what Omar saying is people are still going to get high, so this is how I would track him, um, which is very different than how the police would track him. And so in order to get somebody like a bird um, in a Barstow organization, you have to think differently. You just have to think differently. The normal police way of thinking about these things isn't going to ap- apply, which is a theme that runs throughout the entire run of The Wire. So they do a really good job of showing that in this, um, in this scene. And he tells them, um, now he might have said this in the previous episode, but I believe he, he over some point over the last couple of episodes he told he told them if they do catch him, they he definitely will have the same gun because he's too trifling to throw it off. Yeah, he said that multiple times. Yeah. Said, yeah, yeah, he said so. That is definitely important. It was definitely important information uh, leading up to uh, to them getting bird. Um, we go to Bodie and Pooh in the pit, um, Bodie and Pooh are talking about Wallace. Uh, Wallace hasn't showed up for work in a couple of days. Um, first, Bodie asked Pooh where Wallace been. So Bodie's, I, Bodie's antennas are already up about Wallace from that standpoint. And Pooh basically says he's been up in his room um, all day, still fucked up behind you know, the, the Brandon killing and what have you. And of course, we would later see Wallace um, up in the room getting high. And this was basically, I mean, some options at the beginning and the end for Wallace because really the beginning and the end for Wallace was seeing that body. But this is where uh, the Wallace story arc goes, um, you know, gets ramped up that much more. Poop and, Bo- and Bertie or Bowie are talking about him. And then later on, of course, we see Wallace uh, getting high in um, in his room, trying to cope with what he saw with that murder. Um, then you see 
uh, Wallace, not Wallace, you see Orlando going into the pit and he's to speak to D'Angelo about uh, a connect that he's met. The connect was from, you know, not to connect, you know, in DC, he has the connects, gets the stuff straight out, straight out, you know, straight from New Orleans. And they, uh, Orlando gives him the, presents him with this offer saying that we can go 50 50. I just need somewhere to distribute it, to uh, distribute it. And uh, D'Angelo doesn't agree to the offer, but he agrees to like uh, listen, you know, let me think on it. You know, let me let me think on it. He doesn't say, hey, let's we're gonna do this. Just let me think on it. Um now again, the beginning of the end for one Orlando, uh for one Orlando moving forward. Um, what are your thoughts on these two parts? Uh, to this uh, to this critical scene yeah um yeah i'm gonna be brief on this because because the it's it's the the plot points are, are fairly um obvious of of what's of what's going on um I, i'll say because so everything i agree with everything that you said i'll say the other thing that i noticed was um i i heard this in, a, in another podcast that was talking about the wire but like like um Bodie's always um very uh deferential to stringer um it has been uh, at the at the point in time whereas to the rest of his crew and particularly the d'angelo he's he's super dismissive um so i was really watching Bodie um in this scene and um and i know what the setup is in terms of what you're talking about with uh with wallace but what I also noticed was Bodie clocking Wallace's whereabouts and what he's doing. And um, I would also contend that Bodie sees what's going on and will use Wallace to further his own career in the Barstow organization. And ever, I hadn't really thought about that until this this rewatch and watching Bodie's reaction to everybody and then watching Bodie particularly in this scene. I don't think it's a mistake that he's saying where's Wallace and what's what's up with Wallace. And of course ultimately knowing the end, viewing this through as um as this as Wallace was Bodie's way in to a different position in the organization or at the very least getting noticed by by stringer bell so i was really clocking that but everything else you, you said was absolutely on point in terms of of the different plot points that were there so you have um yeah the detail um uh casing um bird uh bird of course is you know is was copying uh was, cop was copying some drugs um they get in um copping some drugs he gets out they uh then you have bubbles the whole setup you have mcnulty and daniels in the car akima there in the car they have him surrounded uh front and back you have you have bubbles putting the red hat on bird when he walks out of the uh when he walks out and they recognize him immediately um freeman and Sidnor come out to the uh drug the liquor store freeman knocks uh Hits him, bat, hits him in the head with a bottle, um, and they arrest him. And hurt, <laughs> hurt comes out late and says, "I got the legs." After about five cops are on him, um, so they take down Bird. Um, 
just a like a it was just a first of all like just to show you how well thought of the plan was i mean the plan was executed flawlessly they had it was like a you know it was like the i you know being a sports person i am it was kind of, it was almost like if a coach draws up a play for a game winning shot and then they execute it to a t that's how this that's how this was i mean everybody played their part everybody to a t it was just well executed and it just it, it just amazed how many cops came out just showing you how dangerous they they thought Bird was and it was about at least six or seven cops that came out once they jumped out on him. But um just a flawlessly ex- executed plan and you know using bubbles and had you know the decoys as far as Freeman and, and Signor, how they played their roles. What were your thoughts on how they uh, took down Bird? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't have much to add. I think your analogy was spot on. The only thing that I'll say is they didn't think. They knew because Omar told them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, they had, they had, they had the answer to the test. Like, yeah, no, that, this was Omar gave them, <laughs> gave them the answers to the test. Um, you have Stringer, Weebay. Um, Stringer, Weebay, D'Angelo. Stringer goes, Stringer and Weebay head down and Bodie. Stringer and, and Weebay head down to the pit. Um, asked, and Weebay and Stringer are questioning Bodie, not questioning Bodie, questioning uh, D'Angelo, asking him, has he followed this move? Has he followed that move? And, you know, D'Angelo has an answer for all those questions. And then Stringer stares at the payphones and orders Weebay to tear out the payphone, uh, to tear out the payphones. Um, I just wonder at what point did Stringer make that assessment, or was that right on? Did he make that assessment as he's staring at the payphones? I, I don't know. It, it, was part, it was part of the plan okay. that they discussed in the in the room. Okay. That was not that. It was a spur of the moment. Okay. So this was this was premeditated. This is him. Okay. This was this is Avon. This is basically him. Him Avon telling him following what Avon told him to do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they tear out the payphones, and they order uh, D'Angelo and and Bodie to use different phones. Walk you know a couple of blocks to use phones, and then not use don't use the same phone twice. So they have you know they again they have the attention of the police. Clearly have the attention. Uh, they make the, they make their chest move, and um, at the at back of the detail, you see Freeman recognizing that the uh, service has been interrupted, uh, that the service has been um, interrupted with the with the tearing out of the um, payphones. Any what were your thoughts on this scene? Um, move counter move that 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 is that's kind of like that that's my big takeaway it's like it's like uh um from the investigation standpoint it's gonna it's gonna feel like a wait what's happening like like this is this is really bad from uh barksdale they're just going way way past careful so neither one will know what the other or at this point in time know why certain things are happening but they're happening because of the moves that the other that the other person is is making so it's it's again going back to that chess match move counter move move counter move um 
uh, own that. I, I also, uh, I also thought the, I don't know, like the, the Freeman makes a point. I don't think it's in this, this season. It might've been in this season. No, no, it's not. This season. <laughs> makes a point of, uh, uh, where where he talks about um, the discipline of it, and that's why I always love when I think about like the different moves that that the characters in the show are making is just like the 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 things they they continue lean back on are um, you know in Weebay's words way past careful. Uh, yeah, I just I just think about that like you gotta walk blocks and you can't use the same phone twice. That's that's a lot to ask of somebody. Um, but that's the type of discipline that's needed to to, to play this game well. Anyways, I, I just I always find that interesting. It's always one of the things I think about. Yeah, and you go back to season not season, you go back to episode five, the a little slow, a little eight, a little late, Avon in that opening scene tells Weebay, I used this phone yesterday. Uh, I'm not going to use this phone because I used this phone yesterday. So he was on that even before that, before this episode. He was already on that, uh, you know, on, on that program, so to speak. I still think they were, like, testing D'Angelo, too, with the questioning. Did you get that sense? When um, he- yeah, I mean, I think they're all, I think Stringer is always testing D'Angelo. That, that's what I'll say. I think it's not an accident, uh, writing-wise, that we get the sense of D'Angelo that we do. And definitely everyone outside of Avon has that same sense of D'Angelo, that this game is not for him. Uh, so you have the Bird interrogation. Uh, they get Bird handcuffed in the interrogation room. Uh, Landsman comes in, takes a picture, and you know Bird cusses him out. And then Freeman, not Freeman, uh, Kima comes in. He goes, he insults her, calls her, you know, a dyke cunt, and all this other stuff goes at her. And you know, and then you have McNulty gets the gets the match from a gun. The ballistics came came up that said that matched his gun to to uh, to Gant. And you know, basically, basically giving Bird a chance to uh, giving Bird a chance to talk. Bird throughout the whole scene refused, of course, does not say anything to incriminate the Barksdale organization. He, you know, he's a soldier. He's not going. He's not going to say anything. So they they decide to basically between Daniels, Daniels, Lanceman, Kima decide basically to beat the shit out. Uh, <laughs> beat the shit out of him. Daniels tears up the picture, um, and they Daniels Daniels Landsman and Kima in the room. McMulty, McMulty wasn't in the room. It was Daniel Landsman and Kima in the room, and they uh, beat the shit out of him. And then you have at the same time you have Omar and Bunk um, talking, and you know Omar says Bird and sure not Bird knows how to get it, you know get it out of people, and you have Omar Bunk. Um, getting Omar to basically give him murders going back to from years past. And again, an example on how well Omar sees and knows the street. Um, 
Omar's able to recognize Bunk from way back. They went to the same high school. Bunk was older than him. And he recognizes him from uh, the fact that he played lacrosse. Uh, and Bunk apparently was a great lacrosse player in high school. They make that connection. They're both from the same high school, from the same part of the area. So that, that, connection, uh, that connection is made. And uh, Bunk, of course, Bunk uses the epigraph phrase, a man must have a code when a uh, man must have a code and, you know, uh, to Omar and Omar responds indeed. So he, Bunk gets what he wants as far as using, um, using Omar to get to clear some, clay, clear some cases. Omar gets what he wants as far as, as Bird suffering as you know, Bird being one of one of people that that of course helped torture and kill uh, Brandon. What were your thoughts on on these two these uh, these two parts of this particular scene? Yeah, this is this is another one where it's just like I'm just gonna go in a little bit because it's just it's so good because again, the scene with Bird is played for laughs. Like you're supposed it's supposed to be comical the entire way around or or. That's that's how it can be viewed, right? Birds in there, he's cursing everybody out. Um, they rip up the picture and they beat him up, right? Like that, that, so so that's the first part. That's the first one I'm gonna tackle. Um, and the reason why it's such a good scene is because um it it isn't about it isn't about um uh it isn't about the important piece of the, the police gain important piece of information in this. And the important piece of information is that um the that no matter how high the higher up they go, the least likely they are to um get a potential case made, get somebody to to flip over on them, which is which is something that they'll use again and again in talking about like why why they need these um why they need these high-end investigations to happen. Uh, it's because it, 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 there's not going to be anybody that's going to flip over, even though they're like, they're threatening with death penalty and everything like that, and the amount of years, and this is all going to go on you. He knows the gun is dirty and everything like that. So um, just that's just such a major component of the wire. Um, and this, is, this, again, is the genesis of it. Um, there's nothing that they're going to be able to do to get Bird to turn in um, and, and go and go states, which is why wire investigations and things like this are needed. It's just absolutely why. So it's essential. That scene is an essential thesis of the show. If that's how big that scene is, um, and so uh, so that's 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 part one. Um, you know, the, like literally, like scenes like with the bunk and Omar scene deserve an entire season of commentary. Like that's that's how that's how huge I find scenes like that. Um, and the reason because it's what what he's showing you or what the scene is showing you is it's all about relationships. It's another central thesis of um, of Simon and um burns the creators and writers and executive producers on the show and then by extension a lot of the people that they hire and um get involved with there's there's a little bit more research and stuff that i've done um in 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 knowing like the crew behind the scenes but but specifically you don't have to dig like all you have to do is is 
is Google David Simon, like his thoughts on the wire. And one of the big points is, um, is about knowing your environment, knowing the people you're policing, knowing the, the, um, the place that you're in. And so the connection between um, Omar and Bunk going to the same school, meaning they're from the same neighborhood. They grew up in the same areas. They know the same people. They know the same haunts. They've been, in, they've, they've walked each other's shoes. And, each, and because each of them have taken different paths in life, doesn't take that away. And so in that statement, where Bunk is like, oh, seeing as you're being in such a generous mood or giving mood, he can only say that because they've made that connection. Um, and so, because uh, when Bunk first started off the conversation, he was starting off like, yeah, this is where I also did service. This is where I also was a policeman. And Omar's like, nah, 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 nah. That's not what I'm talking about. And so that's how Bunk is able to get that, that extra amount of information um, to him which will then play huge at the end of the season and then actually play huge in um, what does and doesn't happen to McNulty, this simple, simple interaction. And it's based off the, the only reason Omar's even in the police station is based off the relationship that, uh, that um, McNulty is able to build with, with Omar. So that, I mean, that's a central, two central thesis, three central theses come out of this, that, out of this scene, these scenes in the show. One being, um, you know, that wire investigations are essential to police work because in, if you want to play the long-term big drug game, just flipping people is not going to work. Two is relationships to everything. And three, in order to be effective in any area that you're doing, you got to know the city and you got to know the people. Yeah, I mean, they they um, they make that connection. And it go, I mean, it goes back to, again, what you're saying about what real policing looks like as far as what. And Kima said something. Uh, she was trying to tell Herc and Carver early in the season about uh, being a, you know, about a, or no, maybe it was Kima, maybe it was uh, McNulty and uh, Kima having a conversation about how effective a, a, a good CI is and how, you know, seeing the, McNulty saying, you know, describing the dude that saw the eyes, who saw the street like no other. Um, that's all, yeah, that's all, that's all through relationships. Like, it's not, that's all through connect, making connections with, with uh, relationships, no matter criminals and whether they're criminals or not, or drug dealers or not, or, you know, even with, you know, bubbles and, even with bubbles and what have you, that's all through, that's all through developing relationship development. Um, so from that standpoint, yeah, it, that, that was a brilliant scene, uh, that whole interaction with Bubbles and, and Omar. And again, they both get something that they wanted at the same time too. And again, I cannot overestimate this. The sheer brilliance and genius of The Wire is that they show, they don't tell. So, whereas another situation, another show, another whatever, would have stopped at the speech about this is how you develop, this is why snitches are so important or having a confident, not snitches, having a confidential informant is so important and, and this is why they're important. 
and of course the the guy that saw the street like omar then they show you what building that relationship with omar looks like they show you how they do it and then they show you the effects of it and how big it is and why nothing moves forward without a good confidential informant so not only did they give you the statement earlier on in the season but then they show you when they back it up yes mcnulty and um santangelo so mcnulty through one of the um through one of the murders that uh that omar gave um bunk it clears one it was a connection to one of Santangelo's cases. It cleared so they because of that information, uh they clear a case for Santangelo. Um so McNote so Santangelo was thinking that, you know, it was the gypsy or it was the psychic and Lansman basically says, you know, you know, fuck the psychic. It was these guys that cleared your case. This leads McNulty Santangelo uh to let McNulty know that Rawls has it in for him, and Rawls' intentions. And then we see McNulty, of course, in the in the episode, going to Perlman's house, letting them know that, you know, they're gonna do him. Um, I'm trying to get, I want this case, and they're going, you know, they're gonna basically, they're going after my badge. And that is where the uh, episode ends. What were your thoughts on, um, thoughts on that, that ending scene, as well as the Santangelo? part of this i have so many i have so many thoughts so here here's 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 how i'm going to start it since we're at the end of the episode santangelo is actually my mvp of this episode okay um and uh and so the reason i'll just be really quick the reason why he's my my mvp is because he did a lot of the comedic relief heavy lifting in this episode and because he comes he he goes through a, a an emotional arc um, in, in, in this episode and up until that point in time. Now, remember at the beginning where Santangelo's like, you got to cover for me, I got to do something, right? Like that's supposed to lead us into the comedic relief of him talking to the, um, talking to the psychic, but um, it also speaks to what we've also seen. Santangelo's never around. And the reason why Santangelo's never around is because he, he doesn't want to see anything that McNulty's doing because he doesn't want to be a dirtbag and say right. anything to, to Ross. So Santangelo has actually been the angel on McNulty's shoulder this entire time. But the way McNulty reacted at the beginning was, you know, a-hole, whatever he said about him, um, even though Santangelo has been doing this for for the entire season. Santangelo's not a hump like the other guys were. So I I heard heard you at the beginning going in on on Santangelo. Um, And um, it is hilarious because he's like on a dunker from Raw's perspective, you do, you get seven out of 10 of them them correct. And again, like I said, he took a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of the um, uh, comedic emotional abuse of it. But he's, he's actually been doing the right thing the entire time. He's been doing the absolute right thing the entire time. He's not giving up one of, one of his brothers. Um, would I say he's a great cop? No. Um, would I say he's a hump? Absolutely not. Um, he's just an average police guy. He, right. he does really well with things he can do really well with. And the stone case no, whodunits are the ones that are the hardest for everybody to clear. Um, so anyways, so that's part one. 
the the second part of that is um just kind of like the emotional weight in which that got carried with with that scene um because it's like uh there are two parts to it one is um uh because of the work because of the work that both bunk and mcnulty and this is why i'll give mcnulty credit because i'm about to shit on him as well um because of the work that he's done developing um omar as a confidential informant um he's able to clear cases that others wouldn't normally be able to clear that's what makes mcnulty mcnulty that's what he's lauded for um we talked last episode about how he did that in some manipulative uh, messed up ways but whatever he's he's doing the job that that he's that he's assigned to do um uh where I'm going to get on him this week is what did he expect was going to happen? Like that, that's the attitude of a child. Whereas I can piss off anybody I want to play by my own entire rules and there be no consequences to those actions. You, You can't irritate, backstab, you know, cross your, direct supervisors your bosses of bosses in this case and then not expect them to go after your badge so i found it disingenuous that he's showing up at ronnie's door talking about oh woe is me they're going to go after my badge like what what did you expect was going to happen but in lieu of that with all of that um or, or, or yeah in lieu of that um the the way in which it is revealed to him I love the way in which they did it through um, Santangelo actually giving him the real on what um, what uh, uh, Rawls wanted wanted for him. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he never snitches on Jimmy on McNulty throughout the whole season. The one time he spoke about. Uh, McNulty in previous episodes, he basically told Rawls, uh, all the dude does is, you know, go after cases, basically. All he does is work. So, yes, yeah, to your point, he never snitches. He never tells Rawls. He never gives Rawls anything. And, yes, that it was brilliant by the writers to have him continuously disappearing because he doesn't, he doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't see anything. And he's willing to take a case that he knows he cannot solve for his brother. He knew... He knew he couldn't solve that case. Um, that whatever case Rawls gave him to give him out the truth, gave him the pick. He knew he couldn't solve that case. So and he, Rawls he knew he couldn't. Solve and Rawls, it. yes, Rawls knew he couldn't solve that case. Um, those cases. Those, those cases. Yes. 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 Yeah. It was more. It was a lot of cases that that weren't cleared up, that he didn't clear. Up. So he's willing to take like I. I think you know there was a recurring theme throughout this episode about codes. He has a code that he was that he was going to withhold, up, up, upheld his code as far as as far as not telling on his brother. Um, it definitely uh, you had Omar going past, you know, you spoke on earlier saying that being willing to go, being willing to tell on uh, the Barksdales because he felt like they broke a code, you know, they, that they broke a code. Uh, in terms of what they did to um to his boy to his boy his boyfriend uh so you so you had that going on in regards to codes throughout 
the course of the episode. And of course, you had Bird with Bird. Bird violates multiple codes and pays the price for it. He he's getting high, number one, and he doesn't he doesn't toss off a gun. So he's I mean Bird. Bird violates those codes where getting getting high in general and, and tossing and, and making and not tossing off that gun that ends up being a match to uh, the Gantt case. So that that those were recurring uh, theme. That was definitely a recurring theme throughout the course of, of the episode. I want to get to before you had out. I want to get to this this friendships uh, viewpoint because I'm looking at me. I'm looking at Bunk. And Wait, real quick. Who's your MVP? You never say who your MVP was. Uh, I would say, man, I would say between Freeman and Prez that, with that code breaking because uh-huh. that, that broke open a lot of shit in, in regards to them getting stink on with the G-Packs. That leads to the Barstells switching, you know, switching shit up. Um, and now they know, even though they rip out those payphones and that hurts temporarily hurts the investigation. Now the cops know we got their attention and we've made a dent. So we like now, so now is it, it's more, it's game on now from that standpoint. So I, I, I have to go between Omar. I was about to say Omar. Omar was because Omar gave up a lot, gave up a lot of information too. But that code, I, I thought that, that them breaking that code and getting those G-packs in and having that situation, um, I thought that was the biggest part, the biggest piece to me. So I would say Freeman and Prez from uh, kind of split the MVP vote. Nice. But, but again, that's the beauty of the wire. Um, there could be a lot of MVPs in terms of how deep these scenes go and how layered these scenes are. Um, the friendship thing. So you have Bubbles and Johnny Bunk and McNulty. Um, I can make a case that None of those four are should be around each other. Um, and I'm going with Bunk. The easy, the easy thing would be Bubbles and Johnny because they're both crackheads. That'd be easy. That's easy. But in terms of Bunk and McNulty, you have two great cops who are high level at high level detectives, but they bring out the worst of each other from a personal standpoint of self-destructive behavior. It just so happens that. Bunk is able to navigate his self, manage his self-destructive behavior better than McNulty. But they're not good for each other. Like, even, even up until this point, they're not good for each other at all to me. From a personal standpoint, not from the cop, but from a personal standpoint. So you want to talk about Bunk and yeah, I, I just want—I mean, I just wanted to address the whole. I mean, the idea—you know—the idea of, de- of deconstructive, uh, uh, destructive friendships, and like how you know, and it, it attracts. It, you know, it's it's in. I mean, we we've been there before, as far as in our in our lives over the course. Yeah, of the I mean, like so so it's. It, so I, I I actually I like I like where you were going in terms of like bubbles and um and what's your boy's name? Why am I playing? Johnny, uh, Johnny, Johnny. Oh, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. And 
McNulty and uh, Bunk. Uh, Bunk. Um, and and kind of like what we were talking about last episode, uh, it's just you can't separate any of these characters. They're they're all there. No one is over the other over over the other one. So it might be a little bit easier to identify because um, Bunk and um, Jason use drugs, but you know. Jimmy, alcoholic, both of them are cheating on their wives constantly. They, those are pretty identifiable self-destructive behaviors as well. Um, so, uh, yeah. That, so, so there, honestly, there, there isn't, there isn't a, a difference in, in between the groups. Um, so I, I absolutely agree with you there. It's complicated because in both of these groups there's a mentor mentee relationship yes that yes. is that is involved yes. um and that's that's a little bit different than just friendship um in my eyes um and so uh when when it is on that kind of like that 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 mentor mentee relationship it usually falls on the mentor to be a, the a, more of the bigger person and kind of shine the guiding guiding light uh, for them, and then I think to your point, um, what each of the mentors in this case, Bunk and um, Bubbles, what they look for in their mentees are the things that uh, um, that they enjoy outside of the <laughs> the main attraction. Um, so for uh, Bunk and McNulty, it's a more, of course, it's a socially acceptable job, which is being being a, a law enforcement agent. And for uh, Jason and um, Bubbles, um, it's much less uh, uh, socially acceptable, which is which is uh, being a drug addict. Um, but but what I mean by the other activities for uh, Bunk. Um, McNulty's his wingman out out and about. And he'll always be the one who'll do something crazier than him. Um, and so that take that takes a little bit of the pressure off him outside of the office. And for Bubbles, um, Johnny's always one that he's gonna uh he's gonna be able to save. He's always gonna be somebody that's gonna need him. Um, somebody that he will need. Uh, the way that his brain works in creating a caper that will actually work and not get him in trouble. Um, and so, yeah, it's complicated. No, it's, it's, very, complicated. No, it's very, no, this, this is why I want to get into it. It's very complicated. It's not cut and dry. Like, the cut and dry, the cut and dry aspect would be like, all right, so I'm around this person, but I know that they are bad for me and if i if i separate myself from this person then everything's gonna be good within myself in terms of my choices and my actions we know that's not the case in these two situations we know that even even bunk and even bunk and mcnulty were not around each other they they both would still be cheating on their wives they both would be they still both would be alcoholics we know if Bunk and uh, Johnny wasn't around each other, they still would both be crackheads. So it's not that it's not as simple as well. They just shouldn't be around. They would be better off 
apart. It's, it's not, not the, it's nowhere near being that cut and dry. And like to your point, the mentor aspect takes it to a whole nother level because you know, we've all had, a, we've all had mentors in our lives. We know the value of that relationship. So like somebody who's a mentee, who's a mentor to you, you, you know, you look up to this person, you value their advice, you feel like they're leading you down the right path, that that is a, that's an important relationship in, in general. So it's, so you're not going to see a Johnny just like push away bubbles. So you're not going to see, of course, you're not going to see McNulty um, just move, move on from, um, from bump. And somewhat similar, somewhat vice versa, even, even as the mentor. I mean, because there, there, there's something there. There's a, there's a kindred. They are all four of those guys, all four of those characters in ways are kindred spirits in terms of how they think, how they act, how they behave. Even though they're somewhat different, McNulty is not, I mean, Bunk is not as reckless and, and, and nowhere near as reckless as McNulty is more. And, and, and Bunk, Bunk will look out for his own best interests. Bunk is not going to fuck himself over. To, to do some of the shit. He's not gonna go as far as McNulty. Go and McNulty. I mean, the, he's the one who said in the epigraph, a man has to have a code. Bunk right. has a has code. A code. Yes. yes, Bunk has a code, yes. But I just think that it's just brilliant of the show to how they balance that, those relationships with the friendships and the mentors with the deconstructive, not deconstructive, but the destructive behavior. That's, that was that was the overall just point that I wanted to, uh, wanted to get into when it came when it came to these uh, these two particular relationships and it jumped out in this episode too. I, I, again, I have never seen this episode. I don't know how many times it never dawned on me until I watched it again. And that's the brilliance of this show. Just you just pick up new stuff uh, episode in and episode, uh, every time you rewatch it. Um, Every time you every time you uh, rewatch it, you see something that uh, that is um, new. Uh, so yeah, I had I had um, yeah Prez and uh, Freeman as, as as my MVPs. Um, again, this is a, this this episode overall setup is a lot lot going on as far as what you're gonna see in future episodes. Uh, not only this season, but they they set up some stuff that will be that will take you out th- throughout the course of this series. To be honest, up into season five, uh, with that political stuff. So that, that that this was a definitely a you know it seems like we say this every week, but this this definitely was a pivotal episode with some, in terms of some moments that that you saw. Uh, you mentioned them one the Damian Price uh, Daniels interaction, and then also. The of course the bunk and uh, Omar relationship. Yeah, I think we covered everything there. Uh, covered everything in terms of the episode. Um, as always, uh, thank you, thank you, Rob Seth, for joining me. Appreciate you, sir. And look forward to uh, next episode and also the uh, Jordan documentary episode seven and eight. This is this which is supposed to be a great. This everybody's hyping up these next two episodes to be great. So we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Hope it's All great. Right. <laughs> All right, man. Take it easy. I right, have a good one. Happy Mother's Day to your mom. Yeah, same to yours. Man. Later.
that was that of course was Robert Sapp uh joining me doing a always tremendous job at deconstructing and uh deep diving this uh this show and again this is the greatest show ever it's the greatest it's the greatest show ever like there's I can't rewatch these episodes enough I need to be honest with you I mean you can rewatch that wire thousands of times it's that brilliant of a show because you're going to find there's some new meat on the bone every single time every single time so that's going to wrap it up for this latest edition of the real deal podcast um we have uh a full week of course coming up um i will do game three i'm going to do no i'm going to do game six of the 97-93 NBA Finals, Phoenix, Chicago. We'll do that later on in the week. And of course, later on in the week, we will I will look back at episode seven, eight of the Jordan documentaries, Jordan documentary, Last Dance. So stay tuned for that. Uh, as always, this is your host, Surreal Gerald Quinn. You can find this uh, podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, uh, of course, my YouTube page and um, my YouTube page, so I'll have this episode out uh, early tomorrow morning. Have a great rest of the evening. Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers all over the world. I'm out. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.